Welcome to episode 211 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Teresa Kilwaski Gilseppi. She served in the Army for three years and she decided to join the Army because she wanted her student loans paid off after becoming a physician's assistant. And so she talked about her experience in the military and she deployed to Iraq And then she left the military and had a number of medical issues, and we talked about the challenges that she faced and about her book, Beyond the Battlefield, and how she uses the things she's learned in her own mental health journey and her time in the military, along with interviews of others, to provide a resource for those who are transitioning out of the military and those who are outside the military community to learn more about military service. And I'm really excited to get started with this week's interview. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Teresa. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's get started with why did you decide to join the military? So the military has been in my family. My dad was enlisted first as a medic and then a nurse. And then my older sister was in. She was a logistics officer. I had an uncle who, well, a couple of uncles who were in. And then um, actually grandparents, you know, my dad's dad was in World War II. So definitely the military was in my family. And then I actually was on a very civilian course. You know, I was a gymnast in college and then I went to PA school. So to become a physician assistant and I was actually working as a civilian PA and just didn't feel the sense of fulfillment that I was wanting. I wanted more autonomy. I wanted more purpose in what I was doing. And this was around 2008, 2009. And they were really needing PAs in the military at that point. And so they were offering loan repayment. And so the incentive plus it being in my family and also just this desire to kind of be part of something bigger all culminated in me taking a direct commission into the into the military. So it was a very hard decision because I knew that I was going to deploy and I was terrified. (laughs) So, you know, I was trained as a family medicine physician assistant, so we didn't do trauma care and trauma was not my strength by any means. I wasn't comfortable with it. So I knew that going into the army, I would definitely be out of my comfort zone and I would have to learn how how to do that. But I decided, let's do it. And then when they said that I could go to Fort Carson where my family was, I thought, okay, well, I can at least, I'll have a support system right there in the event that I'm really freaking out and can't do this. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And people have been on the podcast who've talked about direct commissioning, but what I've noticed is sometimes direct commissioning means different things based on when you join and what your experience is like. So can you talk a little bit about what your timeline going into the military look like and your training and any other details you want to share? Yeah, it was actually kind of comical (laughs) because I didn't know anything. Well, I mean, I knew things about the military because I had family in it, but the, the basics of what do you wear with your PT uniform? You know, I was given that officer's guide and I kind of perused it a little bit, but they sent me to my unit before they sent me to officer basic. And, you know, officer basic for medical people is nothing like officer basic for an infantryman or artilleryman. It was, what did we do? Nine weeks, I think. And it was a lot of fun with my friends down at BAMC, you know, San Antonio. 
But before that, so yeah, backtrack a little bit. I I signed the papers. I was in Utah at the time. Um, PCS, you know, the military moved me to Fort Carson and they sent me to my unit. And at that point, Fourth ID was just moving up from Fort Hood. So there weren't that many people there. And I didn't know what a normal military unit was, but our formations were maybe 10 people. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is normal. And, you know, I have a couple of funny stories of being in the wrong PT uniform. And our first sergeant was this very intimidating man who walked, you know, right in front of me, looking me up and down. And I was in the wrong uniform. I didn't know it. And so my master sergeant, you know, ran over and quickly whispered something in his ear. And I don't even know what she said, but he was like, okay, (laughs) I guess I'll let it go today. And um, I wore blue socks with my PT uniform and somebody called me out on it. I mean, it was embarrassing. And I was a first lieutenant because they gave me, I was a PA for a couple of years. So they said, well, we'll give you that time towards your time in service. So here I am, direct commission, hadn't gone to OBC. I'm in my unit, first lieutenant. People expect you to know what you're doing. And I really had no idea on the military side. So that was about four to six weeks of embarrassment and you know humbling experiences. And then once I went to OBC, I learned a few things. What was really helpful to me was the trauma training because for the medical providers, we did a week of very intense trauma training. And so that helped me at least feel more prepared on the medical side of things. But the actual military training, I would say it was, it got me to where I could at least function within the army and not be so embarrassed. So yeah, it was an interesting transition. And and I did have friends who were in ROTC in college. So I remember calling my friend like, okay, I'm in fourth ID. I've got the patch on. He said, make sure it's a diamond. I looked down and I'm like, okay, let me switch that. So just lots of little things that were very, very hard. Once I was in, you know, I felt a really, uh, an amazing support within my unit. Yeah, I was at Alabama for my second lieutenant school and they had a thing called COT which is for people who are like direct commission and we would have like captains saluting lieutenants and like they'd be like the COT people they don't know what they're doing and so it's kind of I mean I had four years of ROTC to like learn the military so by the time I went active duty even though there were a lot of things that were different and unexpected and it wasn't anything like what I thought I didn't have to worry about what my uniform was like and all that stuff because I had learned all those things in the training that I had gone through and you know like most people get basic I feel like it's a lot especially if you haven't gone to train and you just went straight to your job and you're like I don't know and we become so accustomed to it that we don't think about like how complicated it is like what socks you wear you know like what uniform goes with what thing what patches go on the arm and like it just becomes like second nature and so then you kind of forget that there's this whole other language culture and way to do things in the military when you're in and new people are like no this is crazy and it's so different that's exactly it yeah because you know i would work out every day and wear blue socks pink socks you know whatever color socks i wanted i had no idea that there was like okay, it has to go above the ankle, it has to be white, or, you know, yeah, there's all those little things that as a civilian, you just don't even think about. 
Yeah, and you talked about how you were family health and then you switched military was more trauma. Was that like an immediate switch or was that something that you used if you deployed or can you talk about like how the difference in your job was, especially in the very beginning and then how it changed? Yeah, when I first got out of PA school, I worked in pulmonary pulmonology, which is, you know, like lung medicine at the University of Utah Hospital. And I did that for about a year. And then I actually worked in surgery. So I had some experience. It wasn't trauma surgery. It was orthopedic surgery, but definitely with suturing and dealing with some pretty, you know, extreme injuries. And then once I joined the army, the trauma training was specifically for deployment. The day-to-day work as a PA was much more internal medicine, primary care. I would do sick call, which is a lot of orthopedic issues. As you know, in the military, we've got lots of back, hip, knee issues. So during sick call, I saw a lot of that, a lot of orthopedic stuff. And then during the day, I would go to the clinic at Fort Carson and see patients throughout the day. And a lot of that was either urgent care, you know, somebody's sick or they got injured out in the field. But in terms of actual like trauma, putting on tourniquets, dealing with life and death situations, that training was specifically for when we deployed. Or I guess if you're doing a training exercise and somebody does get significantly injured. But I personally, thank God, never really had to deal with trauma when I was deployed. I know a lot of PAs who had mass cows and they were the only provider there having to deal with significant issue, like injuries and issues. And when I was deployed to Iraq, we had a cash, the combat support hospital, we had a trauma surgeon, we had a very robust medical support. So me as the PA, I was again, primarily dealing with kind of day to day issues and and we would do mass cal exercises and try to keep up on our skills. But fortunately, I didn't have to I didn't have to use those trauma trauma training skills that I had learned. So how long were you in the Army before you deployed? You said you went to Iraq? Yeah, I joined in 2009, and then we deployed in 2010. So I was in a little bit over a year, I guess. But I actually remember before I went to OBC, so this was that first four to six weeks in the military, we were set to go to Afghanistan. And, you know, this was maybe my first or second week in the army. And I go into the division surgeon's office and some colonel in there is like, all right, get ready to go to Afghanistan. And my heart just sank because I hadn't gone to OBC. I was so uncomfortable in the military, wasn't ready to deploy. And I remember going home and I lived actually near my mom and I'm like in her kitchen bawling my eyes out. I can't do this. I can't do this. I was so scared. But fortunately, you know, within that time, like over the next several months, I went to OBC. And then when I came back, we were slotted to go to Iraq and we were slotted to go to a much more robust base. So, you know, not a, not a super dangerous area. Yeah. And having that support of having the surgeon and the cash and all the, you know, the extra support instead of like when I was deployed, we had a PA with us and I was thinking, I was like, oh yeah, he was like our doctor for like everything. And we luckily didn't, we saw a little bit of combat, but no injuries. 
I didn't realize he would be the main support until we got like, unless we did like the medevac or something. But like, I didn't really think about the responsibility that was on him the whole deployment. He was there to give us our shots and take care of everything, but he also had like a lot of responsibility that could happen. And, you know, people got injured playing sports or doing things on the base if he had to take care of it. So, yeah. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. And I mean, I wanted I wanted that. I wanted more autonomy and I wanted to be able to have that sense of fulfillment as a medical provider. And it's a totally different beast if you're in a combat zone and you're the only person that has medical experience. Uh, and the medics, I mean, obviously the medics are there too, which they were always very helpful. Yeah, we had three medics. They were the ones who went on all the missions with us. And then he was always back at the base ready to support us it's just funny how like your story like brings up something that i haven't really ever thought about oh i feel like i now understand his job i mean he was out with us a lot i knew he was busy it's just i didn't really understand like how much it entailed and like how much more there could be depending on like what happened around us and those sorts of things it made me think of again before i went to obc i had a pa who was kind of mentoring me and because of our unit, you know, the division special troops battalion, it's different than a brigade. And so at that point it was just me as like the, the PA and the platoon leader. So I remember sitting down with this mentor PA and he was saying, well, you're not only the PA, but you're the platoon leader. And I was like, I have no idea what that means, but all of the logistics side of things I was potentially going to have to take care of. Fortunately, I had a good NCOIC and he helped with a lot of that. But, you know, we had to do MDMP and making SOPs. I mean, all these things that I just had, I had no idea what I was doing. It was very much like, okay, I guess I'll feel into this. And I knew the medicine side of things, which which was good. You know, I could take care of the soldiers. I felt confident in that. But so many of those other pieces, I was like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot more than just, like, your primary job when you're in the military. You also have, like, the other responsibilities of, like, especially as an officer, leading a platoon, doing different things. And, yeah, that is true. It's not just, like, whatever your job title is. You also have other responsibilities. And as you, even if you're enlisted, as you go up in rank, when you're first in, your focus is just on your job. And then as you become an expertise, there's more stuff added to it. I think that's why veterans are so versatile, because we're used to wearing like a lot of different hats in one role. And it's very different, like in the civilian side of things where actually, I don't know, because I never worked (laughs) I started my business after I left the military, but I just, when I was working in high school and in college, I only had one job and that was it when I was, you know, I did engineering work when I was in college and like, I just had my projects. I didn't have to manage people. I didn't have to do anything else. There were no volunteer opportunities. Like all I did was my job and it was very different than the military. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. I mean, they're good experiences, I guess, learning to be a leader and having to do the evaluations, you know, the NCOERs and, and teaching, you know, I got to teach the medics, which was a cool part of the job. So yeah, it was a very fulfilling, I mean, I served three years and I feel like it was a really fulfilling time. So you said you were in for a year, you deployed, I'm guessing for a year because you're with the army. 
nine months. And then it sounds like you just had about a year or so left in the military before you got out. What happened the last year you were in? So the last year, I guess I got back in August of 2011 and we were redeploying in phases. You know, we were kind of closing down things over there. We were on Spiker into crit and with as the division we were closing things down so I came back earlier and our profis doctor was left over there as things were winding down and I did a lot of the receiving the soldiers helping them get resettled into the unit and continuing to just kind of do primary care every day sick call and then they actually moved me down to a brigade third brigade I believe it was for a couple of months and then they wanted to send me to JRTC. I'm like, this was a while ago. So I'm like, was it JRTC and TC? I think it was JRTC. And I had actually never been to the field other than my training at OBC where we went out to the field with the division. We never went to the field. So I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm about to get out. I don't know. And so I basically just said, well, I'm getting out in a month and they were going to send me to JRTC for like a month. So at that point, it was a pretty uneventful year, just continuing to do primary care in the clinic and do sick call and, you know, occasional meetings with this new brigade to get to know the commander. But but all in all, it was, you know, just settling back in and yeah, <laughs> nothing too exciting. And was your original commitment for three years? It was, yeah. So they would pay off my uh, master's degree as a PA and I owed them three years. So yeah. And at that point I could have resigned and then continued forward, but actually I forgot about this piece. I was going to potentially become a psychologist. So that was something that I was doing that last year as I was doing interviews. I went to Washington DC and I did an interview to do the PhD program to become a psychologist. And I was actually accepted into that and I had to make this decision whether I was going to go do my PhD and then obviously probably, oh, what, I don't know, five or six years to the military. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, you're in for at least 20. So I was at this kind of crossroads of do I take this amazing opportunity and continue to commit to the military or do I get out and go back to being a civilian PA? And at that point, I had met my current husband who was in the army and he was deployed and I was feeling a little bit burnt out already as it was. And so I made the decision to get out, but it was a very, very hard decision because here the army is presenting me with a PhD, a free PhD to become a psychologist, which was actually something that I originally wanted to be in college. And then I, you know, went the PA route that I totally forgot about that. But that was a very interesting few months to be given this opportunity and then have to make this huge decision because, you know, my husband and I or my boyfriend at the time, you know, we were getting more serious. He was deployed, but it was like, OK, we've got to make this decision now. Do I take my career or do I decide to pursue the relationship and in, in my own civilian career? So, yeah, I decided to get out very hard choice. I think getting out of the military can be really challenging, especially when you have like a great opportunity ahead of you and you're like, but I also have my life. So did you use any tools? I made a list of like pros and cons to help me decide and, or did you just follow your gut? What tools did you use to make that final decision? Yeah, that's a great question. 
I definitely talked it through a lot with my mom. I remember specific conversations talking it through with her because she lived there and we're very close. And I've had a meditation practice for several years and I I don't remember specific practices that I did, but I know that I called upon just kind of sitting, relaxing my body, trying to get out of my head so much. So I'm sure the meditation practice and then eventually just kind of going with my gut, I guess, because it I felt that churning inside of, I don't know what to do. They're both potentially very good opportunities. But I think ultimately I was starting to feel a little bit of physical burnout. And so that pulled me out of the military because I knew that a four-year PhD and then being in the army for several more years would definitely be stressful on my body, my mind. And so I think it just kind of came to that point where I just said, okay, this is what I have to do. But it was not an easy process. Yeah, it's not. And I think that it's important to talk about like the challenges, the struggles. I love that you said that you went with your gut because I think sometimes like that has to be like you can make a list and then they can be even or you can make a list like mine was like get out, it makes sense, but I want to stay in. It was like my only <laughs> reason to stay in. I mean, I should have my career and other things, but in the end, like you kind of have to listen to yourself because you can tell, you know, and that goes for joining too. Like when you're joining, there's like the pros and the cons of joining. But even when you had your school getting paid off, but you said that there was something that just told you like, I need to do this. And so, I mean, there's the benefits, but then there's also, I don't know, somehow you just kind of know that this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, that's very true. And sometimes going through that process of confusion it's just all of a sudden you just kind of know, you know, it, it for whatever reason, I mean, I guess everything happens in its own good time, but sometimes you have to wrestle with that discomfort and the uncertainty. And you're right, you can make a pro and con list and you can have all the pros to do this decision. But if you viscerally feel that this is just not what's right for you, then ultimately that intuition has to trump any kind of logic, I think. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your transition out of the military. You got out. Did you start working as a PA again? And all the challenges that so you're married to someone who's in the army. Was he still in the army? And did you have to move? Like what? A, tell me all the stuff. Yeah. So I got out in 2012, May of 2012. And I basically had an immediate job at the VA, the local Veterans Administration Hospital in psychiatry. So I started practicing as a psych PA and getting to do, you know, I prescribed medicine, but I also did some therapy, which was something that I always loved to do. Like I said, I was, I had a meditation practice and was really into mindfulness. And so was trying to teach veterans these tools. So I did that. And at that time, my current husband was actually deployed to Afghanistan. So I was getting that experience of being on the other side of things where you don't know what's going on over there when there's blackouts, you know, did something happen? So really sitting with a lot of anxiety around being the partner of somebody deployed and sat with the confusion around whether this was a lifestyle that I wanted to marry into. That was definitely something that came up for me. But then... 
you know, during this time, I was starting to have weird physical health issues. So I wasn't able to work full time anymore. I was developing a lot of a lot of anxiety. I had always lived with anxiety, but it was just getting worse. And I was having these bouts of just extreme fatigue where I couldn't really get out of bed and I had to call into work a few days. And so this was the year, within the year of redeploying, I my health was just kind of steadily declining. And I was noticing, I was doing lots of CrossFit and we went to this gym called Military Athlete and I loved those high intensity workouts, but I was getting injured. I would pull my calf or I avulsed a rib climbing a rope. And so I was just having weird things happening in my body and I couldn't recover. And so by the the year mark after my redeployment, I could go on long walks, but I could no longer run and I couldn't do triathlons anymore. And so I was just noticing the steady decline in my health. But despite that, you know, Steve had gotten back from Afghanistan safely. We got engaged. Then we PCS to Monterey because he was doing his PhD in systems engineering there at the Naval Postgrad School. So like we had gotten married very quickly and then did this big PCS. And I was just noticing all of this anxiety in my body and weird stuff coming up. And um, then I got pregnant and had a you know, a healthy pregnancy physically, but definitely struggled a lot with depression and intrusive thoughts, anxiety, things like that. And then I I had my son in 2014 and it was kind of a, you know, a long traumatic delivery and I never really knew how to rest. So I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And, you know, I was two weeks after a C-section and wanting to go out and walk and work out. And I just continued to notice this steady decline in my body's reserve. And so about three months postpartum, my system just basically crashed and I had no idea what was going on. Lots of neuromuscular issues, insomnia, anxiety, just a lot of psych stuff and a lot of just awful physical stuff. And So over that year, I'm trying to raise my son and could hardly get out of bed. And so I had to quit working in 2015. And it's been, I mean, I won't go into all the details, but basically since he's been born, he's now eight, it's been this very painful journey of trying to figure out what's going on with my health. And I'm a PA, you know, I'm a medical provider. So obviously I do a ton of research and try to figure it out myself, but we've spent just thousands of dollars seeing different providers and trying different treatments. And so because I had to stop working outside of the home, I need to have something outside of motherhood to feel fulfilled. Otherwise, I really feel depressed. So I I created some online courses. And actually, one of the online courses was for gymnasts transitioning out of gymnastics because that was my former life as a gymnast. And I had created this online course, this was a few years ago, and I wasn't really getting a lot of headway on it. And so I sent the course to my former XO, my battalion XO. He was really close. He was an amazing mentor for me. He's actually in my book. He looked at the course and he had just gotten out of the army and he said, well, I feel like this might have a place for veterans and and active duty service members. You know, these issues with transition, military is always going through transition, whether it's the ultimate transition out or PCSing or redeploying. And so when he said that, it just kind of like sparked this idea in my mind of, oh, well, maybe I could write a book about this for the military. 
because I'm much more comfortable with pen to paper than I am, you know, speaking in front of people and teaching. And so one thing led to another. It was just a very organic unfolding from this initial online course for gymnasts to let me interview some active duty service members and veterans and let me tell their story. And and so I ended up writing this book. It was a process that started a couple of years ago and did all the interviews, wrote the book. And so I'm telling these stories and then also bringing in the tools of mindfulness and meditation to help with a lot of these struggles of anxiety, depression, PTSD, substance abuse, like so many things that come up within the stories that I tell. I have a question that goes farther back, but you haven't said the title of your book. So can you say the title so that people know and how to order it? The book is called Beyond the Battlefield. Stories of Tenacity and Mindful Guidance Along the Warrior's Path. But the primary title is Beyond the Battlefield. That's what you'll find. It is on Amazon, so you can look up Beyond the Battlefield, Teresa Kulikowski, and it'll come up. So you can order it there. Or I I have personal copies, and sometimes, you know, if people want it signed or something, then I can I can send it to them, and then they just send payment through Venmo or something, PayPal. So we'll link to it in the show notes so that people can order it. And then your contact info will be in the show notes as well so that people can email you if they want to sign copy. And then you mentioned like a bunch of medical issues and like it was a year after your deployment. And I was wondering, did you go to the VA to get help? And did you file a claim? Like what did you do any of that stuff? Because the PACT Act just passed. And so... If you haven't done that, you really should do that. But let's, I want to hear about, because you mentioned like you've seen lots of doctors and you've done lots of stuff, but I wondered, like, it sounds like a lot of it could be stemmed to something that happened in Iraq, just like being there or maybe even burn pits or who knows what. And I wondered if you got the help from the VA. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very good question. And I, I mean, I know that some of this started, I was a gymnast for 21 years and I did it through college and I definitely, you know, beat my body up and did some unhealthy practices as a gymnast. So I know that there's a piece of it that stemmed from that. But yes, when I was deployed, first I had a weird reaction to the anthrax shot because I got my booster when I was over there. And then remember getting, I was speaking in front of the medics and they're like, you are just all flushed on this right side of your body. And I didn't even notice it, but I wasn't feeling well. And and so since then, like flushing has been an issue. And so that was something that kind of was like weird for my immune system. And then right before I redeployed, I came down with some kind of gastrointestinal virus. They said norovirus was going around. I was tested for flu. That was negative. But I was quite ill, almost missed my redeployment flight, but I made it. And then, yeah, I definitely feel like there was a trigger there. And so over these past several years, I've gone to the VA a couple times. And quite honestly, now everything is good, but it was a very frustrating and exhausting process. And I just have so much compassion for people going through it because when you feel like crap, the last thing you want to do is go to all these different appointments. And, you know, we just had frustrating experiences where we would go because my husband had to drive me. I couldn't, I can't drive very far because of all this. And so he's taking time off work to get me to these appointments. And, you know, one time we went and met with, it wasn't even a medical provider, you know, it was a transcriptionist who basically just asked me questions and wrote everything down. And then we got the rating back. And here I've been disabled, you know, very disabled for 
going on seven years, I've had to quit working and the notes that they wrote back, you know, I got 10% for this chronic fatigue and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I know people who are working full time, working out twice a day and they are at a hundred percent disability. Not to say that we all need to be going out and like sucking the VA dry, but I feel like if there is a legitimate issue, it needs to be an easier process to get these benefits because We appealed multiple times, and it wasn't until, actually, one of the interviewees in my book used the Wounded Warrior Project, and that changed everything for me. They were amazing. The resources that they have to offer, I would say, if you haven't utilized them, you need to reach out because their VA benefit section, I don't know what you call it, this woman was on top of it. She messaged me multiple times, you know, emailing, how are you doing? Can you get this form to me and help me set up these appointments? And finally, I had an appointment with a nurse practitioner, you know, an actual provider who said, okay, yes, there is something going on here that, so now I'm at hundred percent permanent, which is a hard thing, you know, because I'm still holding out hope that I'm going to get better. But given that I have missed seven years of work that I could have been, you know, working, earning income, I wasn't able to do that. And so I've received this gift from the Wounded Warrior and ultimately from the VA with just a lot of gratitude. And But it's not an easy process. And I wish that it were more streamlined and that there were more, I would just say go with Wounded Warrior Project because they were so supportive and they have just ample amounts of resources for veterans. Yeah, I am working on doing my claim now with the PACT Act coming out because I had um, melanoma and because of that, it's a presumptive. Luckily, I found it really early. And so, but now I'm at like high risk. So I have to go back to the doctors all the time for skin checks. And, but I've reached out to like a number of different VSOs to like get help with filing my claim. And I haven't gotten connected with anyone and like I'm like I can't do a claim by myself like I already know that I can't do it by myself and I did an interview last month and it's about like the PACT Act and the advice was like find a VSO and they'll help you and so I've been working on that for a month and I've been like trying to find someone and I reached out to a friend who was a veteran and she's like oh I have the first perfect person and so she emailed him and cc'd me and he already got back to me and so I am like finally getting connected but I'm like what if I didn't know this person who you know who works at the VA and like has connections and like I feel like It's so challenging, like, just to go through the system. And then it's, like, even more challenging sometimes to find help in the very beginning. And so, and I don't know if it's because the PACT Act just passed and they're overwhelmed because there's so many more people who are eligible and, like, there's lots of stuff going on. I'm kind of giving people the benefit of the doubt, but I'm like, I need help and I don't know what to do. And so I'm really glad that you were able to use the VA, but I also am really my heart breaks for like how much challenge you face because like I'm not even sick and I'm like this sucks like I just want to give up but I'm not going to you know I'm sure you felt the same you were like whatever we'll just figure it out because this is too hard and I think the PACT Act is going to help make it better especially for Afghanistan and Iraq veterans but I also feel like there's so much bureaucracy and there's like and there's people who want to help and then there's people who need help and like getting them connected isn't always as easy as it seems. Yeah. And then I feel like, you know, sometimes they would say, well, you have to say this specifically, you have to say this specifically. And then you feel like 
you're trying to cheat the system or something when it's like, why can't you just take my word that I'm sick? You know, it doesn't have to, I don't have to say this exact paragraph in order to get 60% rating. Then it, yeah, to me, then it just feels kind of like manipulative and it doesn't feel authentic. Whereas if I were to just show up and say, I have not been able to work for seven years because of this. I feel like that kind of puts me at 100%. It started soon after deployment. And I get it. I mean, it's, it is complicated and you can't give everybody 100% disability, but it definitely needs to be a more streamlined system and something needs to change so that those of us who are very desperate and sick, fortunately, I had a husband who we had an income, but I know some people are single. They can't work. That's a very desperate situation. So yeah, to me, the Wounded Warrior Project was just the the game changer and, and then things started to, I felt supported at that point. Yeah, once you get connected to the right resources, then it's like, then you can move forward. I wanted to ask that question, but I want to talk more about your book because I, I didn't want to skip over it. But so let's talk more about it. And I feel like you gave us like how it came to be and why you wrote it. But like, what are your future plans? Now you have the book. Are you going to write another book? Are you going to make a class or what's what's next for you? Yeah, I would have loved to be to have been able to go out and talk about it more. But because I'm dealing with this physical illness, it really makes it it's very stressful on my body. I can't travel and speaking in front of people is very stressful and So I'm trying to find ways to get it out there, you know, through podcasts, through social media, little things here and there. Um, You know, I go to the PX sometimes and sell it and I've sold several copies there. So I just want to get the word out and make it available to as many people as possible because I, I hope that when there's multiple reasons that I wrote the book and one is through storytelling, I feel like people can connect. So veterans, service members, if they've been through something similar to me, there's something very powerful when you read something and feel like, oh, I'm not alone. I I actually can relate to what this person is saying. I'm not crazy. I'm not weird. So one piece is the connection. And then I also want to raise awareness for those unaffiliated with the military to actually understand what it's like to, to be deployed, to deal with all of these stressors. And then thirdly, to introduce these tools of mindfulness and meditation Because for me, they've been life-changing. They've really supported me through the process of being sick. And I know that there are a lot of veterans who are dealing with both physical and mental health issues. And that to me, these practices of mindfulness, self-compassion, meditation, they can, one, help the body heal physically and also help with recovering from the psychological issues. So that's my hope with the book. Future plans, I actually have started interviewing gymnasts to kind of do a similar format. So telling stories of high-level gymnasts, their struggles with either transitioning or, you know, training for the Olympics, missing Olympic teams, and then also bringing in these tools. So, but right now I'm just trying to kind of get my current book out there and known because it's once you get it out there, it's like, that's great, but now people need to know about it. <laughs> so how do we do that? Yeah, for sure. I understand that because my book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, just launched and I'm like, okay, it's here. Now how do I get it out to the people and and in the right places? And I love that your one of your focus was like on communities, like outside the military community to like hear our stories and help them relate and understand like what we've gone through because there's such a big 
divide between like the military community and everybody else and like there's like all these people who have no idea what the military is like and i think the more stories they can hear that's the best way to explain the military is by hearing someone's story and i mean that's why i have a podcast sharing the stories of of women who served and so yeah and i talk about that in my book because when we were at west point there was a meditation retreat center right across the river in garrison And I did a weekend retreat and it was all about loving kindness, you know, these developing compassion and love. And and there were several comments that people made about, you know, oh, we need to send love to those people over there, like across the river at West Point, as if they were somehow these natural born killers that needed to be saved in some way, you know, and I felt very offended by it. And this is from a group of people who were seeking to be understanding and seeking to, you know, be be non-judgmental and accepting. And I definitely felt the judgment. And I was like, well, this is just because they don't understand. If they really understood that so many of the people that go into the military are deeply kind and, you know, they want to do the best for themselves and their family and their country. And so, yeah, I I think just what you're saying through these stories, people can kind of say they're not going to fully know, but at least understand a little bit better. Yeah, I also love meditation and loving kindness are one of my favorite types of meditation. And so, um, but that's really interesting how like someone's bias is like, oh, we need to send loving kindness to these bad people serving in the military because that's really interesting. And that shows like how big the divide is because they have this like stereotype of what a person in the military is and it's wrong because people in the military are so different and they're so they come from all different walks of life and all different experiences and so i think that's another yeah challenge that we have so my last question is what advice would you give to a young woman considering joining the military i think it goes back to what we were talking about with listening to your intuition i think sometimes there's somewhat of a calling for lack of better word that if you want to be part of a a bigger family and kind of have a bigger purpose in your work, I think the military can offer that. I mean, practically, there are so many benefits because you have consistent pay, you have really good health benefits, I think. You have education benefits. If you have a family, there's just that stability. Obviously, there's not the stability in terms of you're moving around all the time, but there's financial stability. And so from a practical standpoint, there's a lot of benefits to it. I think that if I was going to say if you're more of like a free thinker, maybe this isn't the best place for you. But I, I take that back because I feel like maybe the military needs more open-mindedness. You know, we need all walks of life to come in and yeah, there's tradition traditions and things like that in the military, but who says things can't change and continue to progress and get better. So, I feel like, you know, if you if you're drawn towards it or if you're even interested in it, learn more about it and and really do the research, talk to people who have been in, um, get their experiences. And then ultimately, you kind of have to put all that information together and then listen to your gut. It kind of goes back like that intuitive feeling. If you feel drawn to do it, then I think I think you should because there's a lot of really 
beautiful things. I mean, even as a military spouse now, raising a kid in the military, I feel so blessed because we live on post. It's a safe community. I have an, he's an only child, but everywhere we go, he has immediate friends and a social network. We have community and a social network. So yeah, I mean, on every level, I think there are so many benefits to it. Yes, there's stressors. If it's a time of war, deployments, very, very stressful, moving a lot, that's stressful. So as with everything in life, it's it's not perfect, but um, I would say the, the pros outweigh the downsides. I agree. I feel like there's a lot of great benefits and there are a lot of challenges, but some of the challenges you face in the military are things that make you stronger and change your perspective and can be a thing that you learn from. So thank you so much for doing this interview. I'm so glad we got to do it. Yeah, me too. Thank you. It's really been fun. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode. And I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service. And so the first is my new book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, which is available at the link in the show notes on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can go check it out. It's A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program, which is also linked to in the show notes. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.